This episode of Author Stories is brought to you by Athon Books. Check out the very best in science fiction and fantasy at athonbooks.com. You're listening to the Author Stories Podcast. Bringing you the story behind the stories and the storytellers. Margaret Wine, Jared Brooks, Sheena Kamal, Matthew Quick, JT Ellison, Walt D. Williams, Brad Ford, Corey, Dr. O. Sanders, Robin Mock, Ernest Klein, Tim Butcher, Sherwin Harris. Visit HankGarner.com for archives of all the shows. Today's guest is... Well, thanks for joining me again for the Author Stories Podcast, where I bring you the story behind the stories and the storytellers. Today, I am super excited to have Mary Bostwick on the show with me today. She has an amazing new book, and today is release day for The Restoration of Celia Fairchild. What a fun book. Um, and uh, this there's so much to love about this book. I think it's really going to uh, relate to a, 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 a very wide audience, and I think you're absolutely going to love of it. Uh, welcome to the show, Marie. Thank you. Good to be here, Hank. Well, it's so good to have you. Uh, Marie, we begin each show with the same question, and that question is, what is your first memory of wanting to be a writer or storyteller? Oh, gosh. Hmm. I mean, well, I'll tell you, I don't know that I, I thought about wanting to be a writer. It's just what I did. Um, my earliest memory of writing was really early. I, I have a very distinct memory of being in my grandmother's house and um, kneeling in front of her leather ottoman with a piece of paper on top of one of those big coffee table books. And I was listening to the album, the, the soundtrack of Camelot. And I hadn't seen the movie. And there were all these songs. And I loved the songs, but I, I, since I hadn't seen the film, I didn't have a story to make them all hang together. And so I now know that what I was essentially trying to do was write a screenplay. Um, and I know that I was not six years old at that time because <laughs> I did not, in fact, um, live near my grand. I didn't you know, live in the same town as my grandmother after my sixth birthday. So I was probably five or six. I was a very early reader and I was a very early writer. That That is amazing. So um, I, I assume that you were a bookish kid. You were that kid that was always walking around with her, with her head in a story. I was that kid. Yes. I actually used to get in trouble for reading too much. If you can imagine, <laughs> my mother would be like, go outside and why would I go outside where there were real people when there were so much more interesting people in the right. book? You, you are my people. That is for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Marie, uh, do you remember a book or uh, maybe it was a series of books or an author that you can, uh, you know, put your finger on that just, just opened your mind up to what the possibilities of stories were? Oh, there are so many in in a lot of ways. I mean, like every other girl of my era, I, um, you know, I loved and adored Laura Ingalls Wilder. And I read all of those books. And this is my guilty secret to this day. About once a year, I take a Saturday and I read the entire series 
from front to back because there are still things I learned from the the way Laura wrote. Um, you know, she was so honest about her own her own flaws, which I think is very brave in a children's book. Yeah. Um, you know, but she was also heroic, and I could really identify with her. So she was she was somebody who I really related to, and she was just so. Um, her her descriptions were so thorough, but so straightforward. And I really, I think I learned something from that. You know, as a child, you don't know that that's what you're learning, but right. that's what you're learning. And then when I was a little girl, Wilson Rawls came to my elementary school and I never met an actual writer in my life. And of course, you know, where the red fern grows. I mean, I read it and sobbed and read it and sobbed and read it and sobbed. such a wonderful book. But I don't know, there was something really amazing because he wasn't, he was just a man. Yeah. And it, I liked that. <laughs> the, those those influences are are my influences in a lot of ways. Uh, the Those Laura Ingle uh, Wilder books, uh, my I have an, an older sister who's a year and a half older than me, and uh, it, I inherited all of the things that she would read. She would pass on to me, and you know, in today's uh, climate of uh, kind of a hyper genre where where everything has to be classified a certain way, I, I'm almost afraid that those books, uh, and and this is going to sound terrible, but hear me out. Um, I'm I'm afraid that those books get classified as books for girls. Um, too often now when, when they really, those stories appeal to everybody and, and me as a young boy really, uh, connected with those stories, uh, as well. And, and what a masterful storyteller, you know, for, for anyone to, uh, to be an early influence, there's, there's none better than her, uh, for sure. And, well, and where the red, even you know, that was sort of true, you yeah. know? that girls read, read those books, which is, I mean, what, what seemed to be true. I was willing to read about any her hero or heroine, you know, I, uh, Jean Craig had Moore's, um, my side of the mountain was one of my very favorite books. I loved Sam. I wanted to run away and <laughs> live in a tree, you know? So, but I think, even when I, even back then, I don't know. I think you're the exception, and and good for you for having the influence of of smart and intelligent and lovely sisters. But I think even then, boys were less willing to read about female main characters, and and girls would do either. We just wanted the story. And and where the red fern grows, uh, you want to talk about a a story uh, about humanity, and you know just uh, there's. I, whether you you know grew up in a rural setting or or not, uh, those the, the the struggle is universal, and, and you know, what an amazing story that is. Yeah, it, it was one of my all time favorites, and you know it taught you something, or at least me something as a child of like how hard he worked to be able to get those dogs, and I just felt. I mean, I can still remember the joy I felt with him when he finally had earned enough to get the thing he wanted, uh, right. you know, cause as a child, right. I mean, money was a hard, it, it's, it's, I remember the joy of being able to take my own money and buy things for the first time. It was such a thrill. Yeah. Uh, 
not something you took for granted. So I could really identify with, with that and what a treasure those dogs were for him. Absolutely. So, uh, Marie, as someone who is a born storyteller, as, as you, uh, were and, and are, um, how did you, uh, what was your, your, your path to getting that first book published? Was it, uh, you know, a, a lot of us have, have dreams and ideas of being a writer, but then this thing called life gets in the way and you start a family and a job and you have bills to pay and all that. And then writing kind of comes back around to us later in life. A lot of times, um, what's your story like? Mine's kind of different than most people's because, um, in fact, I always wrote and it was just what I did. Um, you know, I, I, I wrote, tried to write a screenplay for Camelot when I was five or six and, and I grew up and I, I wrote stories for entertainment all the time. And that didn't change as I, I got older, I mean, it got a little more difficult when I got married and I had kids, but I went through an entire Irma Bombeck phase, you know, where I was writing a lot of <laughs> essays about things like, you know, why is there never a lid for the Tupperware, no matter how much Tupperware you bought. This was back when people bought Tupperware. Right. Uh, Oh, and the joys of summer camp and sending your children to it because, you know, you love them and you miss them, but how can you miss them if they don't leave? Things like this. So I did a lot of, of that kind of thing, but I wasn't planning to be a writer as a profession. It just, it, it wasn't on my radar. Um, I don't know why, you know, maybe I just have a lack of, of self-confidence. I'm not sure. But when I was, oh gosh, well, many, many years ago, I, can't, I don't even want to count how many years ago it was. Um, <laughs> my family, I, I had recently given birth again, so to our third son, and my husband got a job in Mexico, uh, you know, Mexico, in Mexico City. So we moved there, and it was enormous culture shock coming on the heels of postpartum depression. And so some girlfriends kind of grabbed me and they took me off to this spa um, just in Tecate, Mexico, which is just south of the, the U.S. border. And I was there and it was really nice and, you know, and there was a lot of exercising, but really how much exercising can one do in a day? And there wasn't television or telephone. It was very quite, quite rustic. So they had all these classes and one of them was a writer's workshop and it met for two hours a day and, and, and everybody went there, you went for a week. So I ended up kind of stumbling into this thing, mostly because I thought, well, there wouldn't be any sweating involved. And that seemed fine. Um, I'd never been to anything like that before. I had never really studied writing in an organized fashion at all. I just wrote because that's what I did. So anyway, Every day, I, and I was, I was really, I almost walked out because there were a lot more people in, in the room than I thought. I thought there'd be like half a dozen. There were like 40, which was really quite intimidating. But then my mother's voice came into my head and it said, you know, well, what do you care? We're never going to see these people again. And I thought, that's true. So I decided to stay and figured if I didn't like it, I just wouldn't go back the next day. Well, there were writing prompts and, you know, just some discussion about, and then people were given space to write and then people read out loud. I did not read out loud for several days because I just was too, too shy. But about the, I don't know, maybe the third or fourth day, um, 
I'd been listening to everybody's stuff and they were good. And I was kind of reading what I'd done. I thought, well, it's not terrible. And my hands snuck up and I read and the room got very, very quiet, which was interesting uh, because, you know, when you're a 30 year old mother of three, like nobody listens to you. <laughs> so <laughs> this, was, this was kind of neat. So, you know, the thing went on and I read a little more over the, the ensuing days and on the last day, the um, facilitator of the workshop pulled me aside and said, you know, I need to talk to you. And I suddenly, having gone to Catholic school, I, I had a vision that I was going to end up out in the alley clapping erasers for having done something wrong. But he uh, <laughs> instead pulled me aside and he said, so you're a writer. What have you published? Oh, wow. I, I was shocked. And I just said, no, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not a writer. I'm really not. I just, um, I'm a mom. I write grocery lists and, uh, I just, I just didn't fire my imaginary friends when I got big is all. And this man looked at me and he said, well, what do you think writers are? Mm. That was really a light bulb moment for me that, yeah. you know, that it was like, wow, maybe there's a, maybe there's a club and maybe I've been a member and I never knew. Um, so that gentleman essentially became my, he, he, first he wanted me, he was like, well, you have to go to graduate school. And that wasn't going to be an option. You know, I had three kids and yeah. I was living in, in Mexico and he was like, well, you have to go to workshops and conferences. And I was like, again, I'm a mother with small children. This is not going to happen. So he finally became my teacher. Um, and back then, you know, this was kind of like, we didn't really have computers and internet readily available. We did it through the mail. He lived in Colorado and I lived in Mexico and I essentially, I wrote a short story for him like for three years. Um, and he was the director of the graduate writing program at Colorado state university. And, um, you know, after three years, I, I kind of learned what I could learn through that system. And one of my books got longer and longer and, or one, excuse me, one of my stories just kept getting longer and longer. And I realized it was probably a book and I spent four years on it. And that, that turned out to be my first novel fields of gold, which was published in 2005. Are you looking for software that helps you bring your novel to life? Novelize is a web-based writing app, which allows you to access your work on any device with a browser and an internet connection. Right from your desktop, laptop, tablet, or smartphone. Just get the novel written. Say goodbye to sticky notes. With our notebook on the side, you can keep track of all the important information you need to write your novel. We keep distractions to a minimum, help you track your progress, and encourage you to write more novels. You can even use the same notebook for your novels in a series. Outline, write, or organize your novel by switching between modes. You can write your outline notes while you're writing, and you can move scenes and chapters around anytime in the organized mode. Choose between the dark and light theme to help prevent eye strain so that you can stay immersed in your book. Novelize, the app for writers by writers. Authors, I have a fantastic new service to tell you about. It's called PubSite. PubSite is a service to help you build your very own website your home on the web where you can promote your work and give your fans a place to connect with you. PubSite is a website platform that allows every author, regardless of budget, 
to have a great-looking professional website developed by the book marketing professionals at FSB Associates. PubSite is the new, easy-to-use DIY website builder developed specifically for books and authors. Whether you're an author of one book or 20, or a small publisher, PubSite allows you to build, design, and most importantly, update your website pain-free. No need to be dependent on a designer or webmaster to make a small but costly change to your website. Save the money and do it yourself. PubSite is the best platform for authors because it's a book-centric platform. PubSite was built just for authors and small publishers. Every design, feature, and layout is book-centric. They have customized designs for you to use. It's easy to build. No coding or HTML is necessary to create a stunning, professional-looking website with all the features you want. Get a custom domain name, yourname.com. It's simple to update. You can add all of your books, add a blog and a book tour, sell from any retailer, manage your email list and social media, and even do e-commerce. Build your website with a 14-day free trial, then pay just $19.99 per month, which includes hosting. And we offer packages starting at $499 to set up the website for you. Pub-Site.com, the place to help authors find their home on the web. Wow. So there was so much in in in, in that answer no I, I i love it so much um <laughs> but the the idea that he recognized that there was a writer in you mm-hmm. um i know i know lots of people who have just natural god-given talent it it seems like um and then you see some of those people that that then take that God-given talent and work on it and and really, um, you know, hone their craft. And then some other people that just sort of rest on their laurels and enjoy being kind of a. I, I'm I'm thinking of of a person that I know specifically a musician um, who has just oodles of God-given talent, but would never put the work in to be better and they're always just kind of this hometown hero uh kind of person um what what specifically can you point to that you remember that helped you go from this this person uh who was recognized as having writing talent to being a professional writer that you are today what what did you have to work on to get you to the next level Oh gosh. I mean, everything, everything, you know, you, you, um, I mean, there's no area of your writing, which you're not, if if you're serious about it, which you shouldn't be continually trying to improve. Um, for me, the initial thing was plot. I, I loved my character so much and I'm, I'm, I'm pretty good at characters and I'm pretty good at voice. That's probably my strength is voice. Um, but I loved my characters so much I didn't care if they actually did anything. <laughs> so, so it was enough for me that they merely existed. But, you know, I, um, I'm, I'm not a literary fiction writer, so I cannot – I just don't have that bent. And I think that's incredibly hard to do well. Um, so I really had to work on, like, truly coming up with interesting plots and twists. And another thing that I think not nearly enough writers pay attention to, um, and I'm forever working on that, is pacing. 
you know, how do you pace that book so that when you get to the end of the chapter, um, the reader wants to turn, wants to read just one more, even though it's one thirty in the morning. That's a very tricky thing to learn. So just, I mean, everything is a dumb answer, but that's my answer. Everything. Gotcha. Um, you have published more than 15 novels at this point. I have. Is that right? Um, I think, yes, I, 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 I've, some of them are novellas. I want to say it's 19. Let's say okay. 19. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, looking back now, uh, at those, those first novels and then, you know, where you're really getting your footing and, and becoming Marie Bostwick, uh, the writer, can, can you look back and see, um, a, a pattern, uh, in your work that, that, you know, that you can point to and say, these are the, the kinds of books that I write, or this is, this is the, the genre that I'm, uh, that I really occupy, uh, you know, what, what is a Marie Bostwick book? If you, if someone had never heard of you before and you were trying to describe your catalog to them. Yeah. I, I think there are some really common themes. Um, you know, I was talking with my agent the other day and I was saying, I, you know, I, I just keep wanting to explore the same stuff. And she said, Marie, after, you know, she's worked with how many writers over how many years, she's like, everybody only really has one book. They just find new ways to tell that the things they care about. So um, in my books, there is pretty much, with very few exceptions, it is going to be a female heroine. And she's going to be somebody who is on a journey of self-discovery. Um, and it, that, you know, that may include a new career, a new family, a new, or, or confronting past failures. Um, but she is trying to find the best piece of herself. There, she's going to suffer in this story. And then there will be a hopeful ending, which is not to say that she necessarily gets everything she wants. Um, sometimes the things we need are not the things we think we need. So that's what people get what they need, which isn't the same as getting what you want always. Um, there are going to be important themes of community and friendship because life is too hard to to do by yourself. That's been my experience. And another big thing that comes through in my books very often are, thing, are, are themes of forgiveness, both of yourself and others and the circumstances which are simply beyond your control. You know, sometimes fate just deals you a crummy hand and you got to figure out what to do with it. Um, so that's important. Creativity is, is something that come through, comes through in my books a lot too. Um, I really believe that having some sort of creative pursuit and means of creative expression is an absolutely necessary component of a happy life. Uh, that's something I hang my hat on, but you know, I'm a, I'm a, I, I quilt, I knit, I crochet, I embroider. I love fiber arts of, of all kinds. If I could figure out a way to make a living doing that, <laughs> I, I might try, but so far I haven't been able to, but I use that a lot as, um, a means of, you know, getting a very diverse cast of characters into the same room. Because women, in my experience, I have all kinds of friends who are my quilting friends or my knitting friends. And we wouldn't have been friends if not for that. Because yeah. my 
little puppy is barking here quietly. <laughs> um, so, so I find that to be a really natural, organic way of being able to gather a cast of characters who are, um, and that's another thing about my books too. I very, very, I like to have a multi-generational cast of characters because I believe we need younger people and older people in our lives. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Marie, you talked earlier about um, really having uh, this this innate ability to to create characters and and have strong voices and uh, and, and characters that we really connect with. Um, but you said plot was something that you had to you had to work on. You, you, so now when you're thinking about a new story, um, and and I, I love to talk about the beginnings of things because you know one moment there there is no story no book and and then uh, you know a character walks onto the stage of your mind or you you read a news article and this you know kind of what if thing starts going off in your in your brain and then all of a sudden a story exists where where nothing did before um so what is it like for you now when you're beginning a new project um the restoration of Celia Fairchild for example um do you do you are you one of those people that kind of have story ideas uh, just waiting to be written or, or are you the, the kind of person that, you know, a, a character just comes, uh, you know, into your mind and then you start dreaming up things for this character to get into or uh, how, do, how does the beginning of a story usually start for you? It can it, it can be different each time. Sometimes it is a character, um, but sometimes it's a situation or a moment in history that I have a question about every once in a while. Um, it can even be a title, which I know sounds odd, but sometimes a title can really give you clues into, um, you know, what a story is, how a story is going to unfold. Uh, so it, it really does vary. And one of the reasons I, I, I don't teach writing very much is I'm, I'm fabulously unself-aware about my own process. It's kind of magic in a way, which I love. Um, I love that moment when, like, well, I'm sure you've experienced it, Hank. You know, your whole body starts to tingle because you just know. Right. You've got it. You've got it. And so what I do in that moment is I run to the computer or I grab a piece of paper um, and I do about a one-page treatment and I just let it flow. And then, because as we all know, like starting a new book is so much more exciting than trying to slog through the muddy middle of the one you're working on. Oh, yeah. So, you know, to, to keep myself from going down the rabbit hole, I'll do this one-page thing. And then I send it to my agent, who is my human filing cabinet. And so she keeps all this stuff. And the thing is, like, once I've done that, I very often forget that, <laughs> that I even had this idea I was so excited <laughs> about. So then we get to the point where it's like, okay, we're supposed to write a new book. And I will send up. I was like, oh, I have no ideas. I have nothing. I, you know, what am I going to do? Woe is me. And she will come back to me with an email with about 20 attachments of, of ideas I have tossed at her, you know, over the last however many years. And in rereading them, there's usually something there I get excited about again. So that's kind of where we begin. Um, and then I just try to start 
doing a lot of writing by hand. Uh, I think there's something about pen on paper that helps, at least for me, helps the creative flow. Um, you know, just about things that might happen to this person or what is the main dramatic question or what what is this person's greatest fear? What's their greatest desire? What is standing in the way of them getting that? And then, you know, what are the things that they, what are their misbeliefs? What are this, what is the stuff they think is true that turns out not to be true? Which is where I find a lot of the most um, interesting dramatic questions because we all believe a whole lot of things that are just flat wrong about ourselves and other people. And so I love a story that, that educates us about that. So, um, and, and I, I've completely agree with you. I, I love when, uh, when, when stories just kind of blossom out of, um, of those situations, but tell me about Celia Fairchild. Where, who is this character and, and how did she come to you? She is, I have to say, I, I love this book so much. I mean, you know, you finish your book and you always feel good about, but I'm, this one, she's been sticking with me. I've had kind of a book hangover. She's been somebody I wanted. I just wanted to write this book over and over again. It's actually made it hard for me to move on to my next project, which is sort of irritating in a way. Um, it, it, it somewhat started with, well, it came from a bunch of different fronts, actually. Uh, I read a lot of nonfiction just because you never know where an idea is going to come from. And I had read a book about a nonfiction book about hoarding, which I found to be quite interesting. And then I kind of like, hmm, it'd be interesting to have a, a character somewhere who was a hoarder. But that isn't Celia's problem, actually. It is a relative of hers who who has that issue. But I ended up reading about, oh, I don't know, four or five nonfiction books about hoarding, which I found to be fascinating because what I thought was true of hoarders turns out like not to be true. Um, one of the biggest problems that people who hoard have is the inability to make a, a decision. And I found that they just can't bring themselves to decide what to keep or what to hold on to. And so they just keep everything. And, um, and they're also quite creative, but that's another, another topic. So, so that was interesting. And I have long been a reader of advice columns. I love advice columns. I find them fascinating. And so the idea of having an advice columnist who was incredibly insightful and caring and wise when it came to dealing with other people's problems, but like a little blind about her own seemed, seemed both funny and absolutely true. Cause I think that's just the human condition, right? I mean, if you told me all your, your life problems, Hank, I could have them sorted out in 10 minutes. <laughs> but I've got not a clue about me. So right, uh, right, I just right. think that is the human condition. And there's a, there's a poignancy to that. And there is also, it turns out a lot of humor to be, to be mined out of that particular field. I love it. The, talking about a, a a book hangover and and loving a character and and loving, um, you know the situations that that you've gotten them into. Um, could could uh, could Celia maybe uh, spark a a series of books? I would be definitely open to that um, because it Celia is is Celia, but she is surrounded by a very strong ensemble cast. And I already know what happens to the lives of some of these people. 
So I, I, I would not mind revisiting, um, you know, this cast of characters in a future book. There's a lot I could work with here. I love it. When when someone uh, reads the restoration of Celia Fairchild and they they get to the end of it and they close that back cover uh, or or any of, of, of your books, Marie, um, what do you hope they're left with at the end? Satisfaction. I want them to close that cover and feel sort of a, a settling of satisfaction and peace um, in themselves but also in knowing that I have left the characters in a good place. Fantastic. The new book is available everywhere now. Wherever you buy books, you can grab The Restoration of Celia Fairchild in Kindle edition or paperback or audiobook. Um, we're going to put links to those uh, places in the show notes. It's available everywhere today, so go grab it. Uh, use the link in the show notes. Uh, Marie, what? What do you think about your books being uh, uh, produced as audiobooks? You know, audiobooks are kind of the the, the biggest growth uh, you know, uh, market in publishing right now. What do you think about your books being translated that way? Oh, people love audiobooks. And because a lot of my um, my audience tend to be people who love crafting too, I get so many emails from people who are like, oh, I loved listening to, you know, Celia's story while I was working on my embroidery or cutting out my quilt. And I think that's great. It's kind of combining some of their very favorite things all in, in one spot. I will say um, it can be a little difficult for me to listen to the audio versions of books because I know. <laughs> characters sound like in my head you know yes. the actors and actresses do wonderful jobs with these things but you know i've but it's kind of like hearing a recording of yourself no, nobody wants that exactly, exactly. <laughs> but i've been very lucky and had some terrific actors uh voice my books over the years so i'm all for it love it uh marie i know you have a fantastic website full of great uh resources for people uh where can people find you online to connect with you oh yeah absolutely um it's mariebostwick.com and of course i've got lots of stuff about my books and my tours and all that but i also uh write a blog called fiercely marie which is a lifestyle blog and i started doing that because um I have so many interests beyond, you know, beyond writing. So I, I am a passionate home cook, um, a crafter, uh, you know, a mom, a, a, a sometime relationship expert, but only about yours, not about mine. <laughs> uh, so I blog there twice a week, and and you know, it's kind of like, um, it's kind of like my own personal little magazine. So that's fun too. I love it. Love it. We're going to put links to those places in the show notes of this episode as well. Uh, Marie, this has been so much fun uh, chatting. Thank you for taking time to come on the show today. Oh, I loved sharing my launch day with you, Hank. Thanks a lot. Authors, if you're looking for a partner to help ensure that your book is the best it can possibly be, look no further than Pico's House. Crystal and her staff make a conscious effort to be critical yet courteous. They also strive to make the business side of things run smoothly so that you can rest easy knowing that your manuscript is in capable hands. Whether you need beta reading, developmental editing, a manuscript critique, line editing, copy editing, or proofreading, Pico's House is the one-stop shop for you. Check them out today at picoshouse.com 
to get started. Dream Author by Sophie Hanna is an immersive 14-month coaching program for writers at any and every level of experience, and also for those of you who want to write and are just waiting for the right encouragement and guidance to get you started. Your writing dreams should make you happy. For so many of us, our dreams are not a source of happiness. Instead, they cause us stress, guilt, frustration, and even shame. Here's the great news. All of these feelings are natural and all writers experience them. The problem, though, is that when your writing dreams bring you more anxiety than joy, it affects your resolve and your productivity, and you end up not taking the action you need to take in order to propel your dreams in the right direction so that they can stand a strong chance of coming true. That's why Sophie created the Dream Author Coaching Program to teach anyone who is passionate about writing how to change the way they build, think about, and pursue their writing dreams in order to become their own most powerful ally and advocate for the rest of their writing life. And more great news. Once you've learned that skill, it lasts forever. Visit dreamauthorcoaching.com to get started today.